And so I always felt like I was playing this split second game of, are we going to be friends when I would meet a new person? Because it was like, I can, I can lie to you now and tell you I have no kids and rip away a little piece of my soul right now and but save you the emotional drama of going into that or I can have that heavy conversation now if I think we're gonna you know be acquaintances long term because at some point it's gonna come up hello and welcome to grief gratitude and the gray in between podcast This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. I am excited to introduce you all to my new friend, and I say new because we've never met. Uh, This is my Instagram friend, (laughs) slash now friend, Crystal Webster, who's on the line. And I love, I just love the benefits of social media because they do end up opening these opportunities of getting to know people that you have so many commonalities with that you would have otherwise not known had you not exposed your, you know, not exposed. That did not sound right. Did that sound right? Oh, oh, (laughs) Crystal, I just said exposed. I love it. I love it. We're getting this off to a good start already. You know what I mean. When we when we really show our true selves and we kind of share about us, we get to meet people that share certain, you know, similarities. And I love that you reached out to me and now well, here we are on the podcast. Yay! Yeah. So excited. So Crystal, tell us a little bit about you. Where do you live right now? Where do you So I'm you in living? Kansas City. Um, and this is my this was my question. And again, because Kansas, I was Kansas City, Kansas or Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City. Which one? Uh, technically, both. both. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Kansas City, Kansas, and a Kansas City, Missouri. I'm actually in a suburb on the Kansas side. <laughs> okay. Is it always? Do you always get that question anytime people when you most say of the time? Kansas yeah. City? Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because when, uh, my husband traveled too, like he's gone to, he loves it by the way. It's, he says it's a gorgeous, um, city, I, uh, Kansas city. I love um, it. Yeah. He love. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Yeah. He says it's beautiful, but I was like, I'm always like, Missouri, Kansas, which one? Like, it's just so misleading with the word Kansas in the name of the city, but yet that sometimes it's Missouri. So anyhow, it's just, and do you say Missouri or Missouri? What's uh, the proper way? Do you know? The Missourians call it Missouri. Missouri, right? The yeah. southern side but, sounds like Missouri. Missouri but in Missouri. Kansas City, we call it Missouri. Missouri. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's so a local Crystal, dialect. It's a yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll know who you'll know who's from Kansas. You know who's from Kansas if they say Missouri, or the and you'll know who's from Missouri if they say Missouri. Pretty yeah? much, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. To anybody that's from Missouri, I'm sorry if we're like, we're, not, we're just trying to just get it right. Whatever. Yeah. Tomato, tomato is still the same thing. So, um, so I like to keep these conversations very casual and flowy, as you could see, Crystal, even though the topic we're going to talk about is not necessarily light and fluffy, right? Um, yeah. Let's just uh, talk a little bit about that. So you live in Kansas City. You are married. Tell, tell me a little bit about your, your life and your husband and what it is you do. Ah, that's a loaded question if I've ever <laughs> loaded. Heard oh, okay. How about, ooh, okay. That, that, that's too much for a first date to first date here. Sorry. Let me just backtrack. A bit. <laughs> so yeah. How long have you uh, known your husband? Oh, okay. So we, it's kind of a funny story. We met in high school. We went to high school together and we actually dated for a few months as ninth graders, as freshmen. Really? Oh my gosh, you've known each other since forever. Our our friendship and relationship is old enough to drink at this point, <laughs> uh, which makes me feel really old. Um, but we only dated for a couple months, and then I, I dumped him because he was kind of a band nerd. Oh, um, my kids are band nerds. Excuse me. I mean, Excuse I, me. Can you I please was a th- <laughs> What were you? He was a band nerd. What were you? I was a theater choir nerd. Oh, yes. Like so, I'll say. <laughs> yeah. I was, you were the other type of nerd. Right. You were the yes. theater nerd. He was a band nerd. Exactly. <laughs> okay. our, our nerdiness just didn't mesh very well. Um, and then that. we didn't talk for five years. Oh, and wow. So ninth came- grade. And then did you go to the same? So this is the, you were in the same high school, but in ninth grade you dated, you didn't talk even though you were in the same high school at that time? Were you? Yeah. I mean, cause okay. our, our circles really didn't revolve around. I mean, he was oh. in the band and I was in the theater and, you know, we, we kind of had some mutual friends, but not our, our circles really didn't overlap. And then mm-hmm. we went to different colleges. Um, Out of then- state? Uh, no, they were both in state. Um, okay, but probably a couple hours from each other. Um, he went to K State, and I went to a little bitty school, um, Emporia State. Um, and then it was one of those, you know, you kind of come back for I don't know, hall, uh, Christmas break Holidays, or Thanksgiving uh-huh. break or whatever, and you're like, oh, I'm back in town, but I don't really want to hang out with my parents. So call everyone I know to see if they're in town. And then they call everyone they know. And pretty soon you have, you know, 50 people. A party. Yeah. You have a party. <laughs> you have a party. And um, it's it's been a whirlwind ever since that time. Wow. So this was like, so five years after in one of these times in which you came, that's when you guys met in one of these 50 something people that were in town. Yeah. From having been, that's amazing. That's awesome. And our, our second first day, we have first firsts and second firsts. Yes. Okay. You know, the first, the first time was in we, ninth grade. It was in ninth grade. And okay. our second first date was 01, 02, 03. Okay, wait, wait, wait. 01, 02, what, what? So January 2nd, 2003. 01, 02, 03. I was like, what, what, what? Oh, what? what does that I mean? I thought you said like a 01, a 2, a 3. I'm like, a 1, a 2, and a 3. What is what? a 1? And a th- no. 01, oh, January. Second, Second, 2003. Oh, and then when was the yeah. marriage then? That was the date. When was the marriage? Uh, three and a half years later. So we got yeah. married in 2006. So we actually mm-hmm. got engaged a year before that in 2005 on a vacation to Las Vegas. <laughs> okay. Um, Did you get married in Vegas too? A year later, we went back and got married in Vegas. <laughs> 
if you get engaged in May- Vegas, you get married in Vegas. That I should be the do, other yeah. slogan. That's the other little <laughs> slogan. What stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. If you get engaged yep. in Vegas, you get you come back and get married in you, Vegas. You get, yeah, you come. Okay, and so but you've I been felt married? I feel like it's yeah. very important to say that they were two different trips. A year apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for reading. My husband I'm, and I, I'm we dated for like eight and... months, but we we dated for like eight months between like dating and getting married. So I have no, it's no problem for me to, for you. If you would have told me we got engaged in that same day, we got married. I would have not seen anything weird yeah. with that. <laughs> so, so, but, but for you, so you guys got engaged and then came back. Came and back. then, so the story we're going to share a little bit is then of, parenting and kind of the journey there. So at what point down in your, um, in your relationship did you guys start planning to have children or wanting to have children in your life? So we always kind of knew that we wanted children. A- mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was so much a we knew or society told us that we knew, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm from the Midwest and you you know, you go to college and you get married and you buy a, fen- a house with a picket fence and you have kids and then you get old and then you die. Like, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always kind of knew that kids were in our future and not necessarily. I, I don't say that with any connotation to that. Like, it wasn't forced upon me. But I don't ever remember being like, oh, my gosh, the only thing I want to do in life is be a mother. Mm, if that makes yeah, sense. which some people, yeah, oh, it makes a total sense. Yeah, because um, some people that just know, and that's already like they're. It's kind of like somebody being a doctor or wanting, you know, kind of yeah. having that goal. It's the same, like motherhood being like that kind of idea of who they see they are going to be, aside from anything else. And so, so it just you just kind of just knew you were, but that was not necessary. So then, two thousand, okay, two thousand and wait, two thousand six is when you mm-hmm. got married. And it wasn't Um, like a hurry up and get married so we can start having kids or it was just, we're going to get married and then be married for a while and then kind of go on, you know, kind of go see what happens. That journey of marriage, of of this new chapter and then just go from there. So there was no particular timeline. It was not like the the clock is ticking type of feeling ever Mm -mm. in your relationship. Okay. And again, I'm a good Midwestern girl. So I got married at like 20... Well, if I tell you, then you can do math and figure out how old oh. I am today. I don't know how I feel oh, about that. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but do you have a problem? I am to- I'm totally like good with age. I yeah. tell people all the time, I'll be 45 this year. I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'm I, get, I definitely with- get better with age. I like to think. <laughs> there we um, go. So, I, I mean, I got like married good at old 24. <laughs> you got married at 24? Yeah, at 24. I mean, mm-hmm. which is young. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the appropriate Midwestern age. I feel like interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. So there are a lot of boxes you got to kind of fit in into that mentality, oh, yeah. the age and the everything. I mean, and it's so, ne- never like I felt obligated or forced into it, but that's just kind of how, how things work here. You know, mm. you just kind of, you graduate college and you hopefully find your spouse or partner in college. And then after that you do, you know, you move on and check the next box and check the next box kind of mm. thing. Now with that, do you, was there also like a box then like in, in the, in the Midwestern mentality that you kind of grew up with, is there something about like what happens once some of these, uh, what, when 
families or women you start having then children do they like this career go on the side burner or does that go simultaneous with then uh motherhood it really depends on the family and and the mother um mm. some people want to you know take on motherhood full time and others mm. want to have another both. outlet yeah have both okay so it's not um, like one not one thing is not expected it's not like yeah in certain cultures or or areas in the in yeah in the united right. states or anywhere else in the world in which once you become a mom that's it you everything else you you forget about whatever you studied or anything you just right. kind of this is the new role that's not necessarily the case there. Yeah. So, um, so then how, how then t tell us a little bit then what happened, because this is the, and this is by the way, to the listeners, this is going to be a, a very, um, moving story. Um, Crystal and I, this, I try not to talk to people too much before an interview, but since we had not actually met in person, we did have a zoom conversation, uh, which wow, we could not hang up on that one, did could we? No, we had we, <laughs> we talked and we just had a great time getting to know each other, and so um, yeah, we're best friends now. Yeah, we, I've never met you in real life, but we're best friends. <laughs> now we know, yeah. Now we know we have theater in common. We have all these other things. So, um, so anyway, so just so you know, it's it's a uh, it's one of those um, tear jerker kind of heart strings pulling kind of uh story that we're going to share so just thought i'd give that um little piece there because it is gonna even though we're joking and talking in this way it will take a turn so just kind of giving you all a heads up so um so yeah so tell us then a little bit then sorry now that i'm talking to the now i'm back to you not the audience and okay. not my soliloquy thing um so yeah, tell tell us then. So twenty four, you got married. You were had you started to work at that time because you were out right you know out of college. Mm -hmm. So what was your career and stuff then? Yeah, so I I had gone to college to be a tax accountant, and mm -hmm. I went to work at one of the big four tax accounting firms as a as a tax person. So I did. Wow, tax this is from the. This is from like you being the artsy, the theater girl yes. you know, in high school, and then you go into numbers. Were you really, were you good at math in high school too? Um, in accounting, you really only need to know how to add and subtract. So I can, I can handle adding okay. and subtracting anything more than that. Was, no, no, that's it. I would Calculus you know, and geometry amount. Yeah, no, but it's interesting. Like, it's one of those things that I don't know, I would never think of like going to something like that with, you know, numbers first per se for me, for me, you know, the type of personality that I was, but, um, oh, yeah. or am, or was, that's awesome. Okay. So then you did that and then, uh, you were already working and then your husband and what's your, your husband's name? Sorry, just Kyle. Yeah. Kyle. Kyle. So Kyle, what, what was from band? From band and nerd, as we Kyle, this is no offense yes. to you, by the way. When you listen to this, lovingly this is not about referred to, lovingly, right? Yeah, my kids, my kids are in band as well, as I say. So, um, tell what is what is his line of work? So he works in reinsurance, which is basically he works for a company that insures insurance companies. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. There was a, yeah, we Apparently learned something new. We learned that <laughs> yeah. the people that are passionate about theater end up going into 
accounting and we know that people are going to band can be <laughs> working to the insurance, you know, it, it yep. field. So, and so this is like 25, 26, what, you know, you guys mm-hmm. are married. You went back to live in the same town you guys grew up. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so we actually went to, we, I moved to the city because I'm in a suburb mm, of girl, Kansas City. I know. I moved to the city, um, which is literally, I mean, it's 20 minutes Five from minutes. my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's that far away. Um, but yeah, so I moved to the big city and got a big girl job. And um, and then his company uh, gave him an overseas assignment. And so we moved to wow. Zurich, Switzerland for two years. Wow. Okay. So how was that? Okay. So even though we're going to talk about grief in another area, how was that? That's huge. Two it years huge. in a country in which different language, yep, different culture. How was that experience for you? Um, it really set me up. Uh, first of all, it was amazing and I loved it mm-hmm. and I never want to do it again. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed was I pretty much went, I mean, we were, I think there's an eight or nine hour time difference. So I went to the other side of the world for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I saw just how different and how similar people are. Um, you know, my favorite thing to do was to go to the grocery store, just to kind of be around people in their element. Because nobody's like... Mm. On, is that what you do when you're on vacation? Yeah, those yeah. are not the kind of things you do on vacation. Yes, you're right. <laughs> but it's it's my favorite thing to like. Even now, when I go on vacation, um, my my first stop is the grocery store. That's awesome. Thank, that's to, a good that's a good uh, pointer for anybody that travels, and that's yeah. the best way to get to know. What was so you would people watch? Oh, I people watch, and people there are uh, people that are from Switzerland, pretty much are from Switzerland. They, they're born in Switzerland. They live in Switzerland. They die in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, yet there are a lot of expats. So they're very sh- closed off from, basically from getting their heart broken. So they they're not real easily they're not real open to making a whole bunch of really close new friends, um, mm. which I thought was kind of interesting. So a lot of my friends were, well, and also it didn't help that I didn't speak the language very well. Mm-hmm. Um, English is kind of the lowest common denominator. Like you can speak eight languages and English. And so everybody wants, you know, everyone can speak English. Um, there would be many nights that we'd go to restaurants and, the table next to us would be speaking in French and the, the waiter would be, you know, speaking Swiss German and they'd talk to each other in English because they both knew that language. Oh, wow. So um, that was a common denominator. Of yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so language wise, that was not the issue. You know, you could technically maybe find somebody that you could speak, but it was the fact that people that live there, because that is where, and this can happen in small towns too, even here in the United oh, yeah. States. Anywhere. I've noticed that. Yeah. In which where people, is that where, if that's where they were born, if that's where they grew up, then they don't need to expand their circle of friends because they've had the same circle of friends all their life. There's no need for that sometimes. So who would you then relate to? Who were your friends? The expats that lived there? Like, 
the you know yeah. U.S. people that live there. Okay, and um, were they there for the same line of work as your husband or other type of jobs? There, there's definitely an expat community, and if you ever go overseas to do something like that, I highly recommend you find that group mm-hmm. of people. Um, a lot of them did happen to work with my husband's company. Several of them didn't. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, a few of them came over uh, with my company when I, I I actually left my job when we moved to Switzerland. Um, but there were a couple people that from Kansas City that moved to Zurich about the same time, which I thought was oh, crazy. Wow. And I was like, hey, I know you from Kansas City. <laughs> that is so weird. Yeah, yeah, what a small world, right? As I yes. said. But, right. And now how was that for you then for a couple of years then of not having then your, uh, your job, a J-O-B, you know, the job, yeah. the, uh, and then you're here in another country and then you're there because of what your, um, husband, you know, is doing. Mm-hmm. So then what were some of the ways that you would, yeah, what would you do? What would yeah. you do with your time? Um, so my job was to play tour guide and travel agent, um, for the most part. So we, you know, when we take trips and, and living in Zurich, it's like three hours to anywhere you want to go. You want to go up to the mountains, it's three hours by train. You want to go to Moscow, it's three hours by plane. You can take the the train, you know, to wherever you want to go, pretty much hop on some form of transportation and you're there in three hours. Um, so we did a lot of traveling and that's kind of where we, we chose to focus because we knew that this was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yes. And that's so good that you actually took that opportunity to be able to learn so much about all these other cultures by traveling and stuff too, because you knew it was once in a lifetime, because a lot of times we can still end up wanting to stay in that little bubble, right? And then mm-hmm. we don't end up expanding. So you just, you know, use those two years to really expand, <laughs> yeah. grow that grow that opportunity. So then when you guys came back, was that culture shock for you when you came back to the United States after being two years abroad? Did you notice a difference in, in even, you know, having left your town oh, yeah. and then coming, or you coming back, like, did it feel like this, this is something that I, I, I at least have experienced at times as if um, time stood still where, like, as if things kind of stayed where they were when you left, did you notice that feeling? Yeah. Um, one thing I really noticed that was probably the biggest like culture shock piece to me was that I constantly was an information overload because I could understand Mm -hmm. all of the conversations and things around me. Like I could hear the lady at the table next to me, hear her talking to her daughter about whatever, you know, the math test or whatever. And I could hear and understand the TV and the radio and things like that, where I had just kind of learned or taught myself, I guess, to tune that stuff out because I couldn't understand it anyway. That for is the most part. So wow, that I had never thought of that because I've never lived in a place in which I don't under you know, I, even though I moved here from Colombia, I knew English all my life. So that's never happened to me. That what you're just describing. And that was just I've never heard that. And it just makes so much sense. The fact that you had to be more with your thoughts than in other people's business mm-hmm. <laughs> business when you were in Switzerland. Well when you come back you have all I mean, this overload so, of information. It's yeah. sound and sounds everywhere. Yeah. I mean and and who doesn't not that you're eavesdropping, but who doesn't no, hear the happens, conversation right, yeah. next to you and right. 
perk your ear or whatever. Right, um, right. And it's not that I couldn't. I I knew enough of the language to get around and do, you know, like go to the grocery store and buy a cup of coffee and those kind of things. But I just wasn't fluent enough in Swiss German, which by the way, is not a a language that you can go up and pick a tech, pick up a textbook for. Mm. It's like a, yeah, it's a dialect more than anything, um, which is fascinating to me. But so I wasn't as comfortable with the conversation as I am with English. So I couldn't mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of hear it in the back of my head or whatever and follow along or anything. So I really went, that to me was probably the biggest culture shock coming back is, oh my gosh, I can hear everything and understand everything. And this is way too much. And <laughs> just turn it off, turn off the world. <laughs> Wow, that is that's interesting. Yeah. So did you do you feel you experienced more grief coming back than you did going? In terms of the change, or was it just different? The, it was, the grief it was experience. Just different. Um mm-hmm. there was there was grief. At first I was like, all right, this is a great vacation. And then I it really mm. settled in when I was over there. Like I I don't I don't really have a reason to get up in the morning. If it's not to, you know, clean the house and, and just do the things to fill my time. Um, and towards the end, my goal was to make sure that I got up and showered before my husband came home from work. And that I went to bed early enough that when he got up, that he didn't know that I had been up all night, which didn't work very well. He knew. So you would actually, so you would go to bed. At the same time as he would? No, before he would? I would go to bed basically um, about the time the sun was rising to go. He would get up to go to work and I'd be going to sleep. I turned into a vampire. Just because you could not, you could not sleep. Sleep was hard for you because of the stress and and stuff too, to be able to. Sleep was hard. And plus the time Mm -hmm. difference is I, if I stayed up late enough, I could talk to my friends on the internet after they got home from work. Um, and I didn't really have anything that I pressing to get up for in the morning. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, o- I've always been a night owl. Let's be a hundred percent honest that's the, here. That's the honesty um, here. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was not I, too unlike you, but it was still like something that it even, it was even more because of the time change. And also because you were probably just thirsting for those connections of the people that you had here. So if you staying up late could mean you could talk to them and connect with them, you were willing to kind of sacrifice some sleep in order to have those moments of connection. Exactly. Um, Okay. And so then when you guys got back then, that was, what year, around what year was that then? It was I'm all about like years. Most times people forget like years, but I don't know. I just, it gives me a timeline in my head. It, I I can pretty much give you dates for a lot of things. Um, (laughs) Well, you just told me the 102203. Yep. (laughs) So we had, we came back late 2009 is when we came back to the States and we actually moved in with my in-laws, my husband, Kyle's parents. We moved into their house Mm -hmm. um, because we didn't have anywhere else to live. You had just, yeah, you had just gotten back. And then how long did you live with your in-laws? We lived with them until we bought the house we live in now. Um. We bought it in April, so like nine months later. 
Yeah, okay, it okay. was it was pretty much nine months later um, because I found out I was pregnant on Halloween 2009. Okay. Um, and I and that, was husband. that a surprise? Was that a surprise at that moment um, when you guys found out? Or yes had, and at that no. Mo- or at that point, had you guys already been trying? Um, we had started the conversation of, okay. hey, you know, we've kind of sowed our wild oats. We moved across the world. Like, mm-hmm. now it's time to settle down and get serious. Mm-hmm. And but then we, it let's was... Check that other, let's check that other box now. Yeah, now it's time to check yeah. the next box. Yeah, we check yeah, this one. You know, it's, we're just doing our to-do list here. Yeah. If um, you haven't seen, uh, have you ever, Michelle Poehler, have you ever heard of her? I'll, yes. I'll send you, have you have? Okay. Cause she talks a lot about these things, about these boxes that people try to, you know, fit in and mix and that these expectations that are there. So uh, it just, what, how you're expressing your, your story, you know, your story of your life. It just reminds me of that, of all these boxes and stuff she talks about. Yeah. Um, I mean, and if I didn't really have to second get, like really think through these things yes. that, that would have been. I mean, that's, that's just how you do it. You know, mm-hmm. that's just, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people kind of feel the pressure of society yes. and not that it's like really there, like anybody's actually applying the pressure, but they feel that pressure. Yeah. It's an unsaid, it's an unsaid expectation. It's an unsaid yes. expectation that's there. Um, and that we kind of put on ourselves. So then you find out, how did you find out you were pregnant then? How, how oh, did you not find the- out and- <laughs> this the the let me check and then and the, okay so how was that yep. news breaking it to uh Kyle or did you guys you know wait for the little result at the, the little what's that stick called the pregnancy stick or whatever yeah, waiting whatever for the it's little called. two two yeah. two lines or whatever oh, Were you no. guys waiting I together? woke up in the middle of the night <laughs> and was like okay I gotta do this I just like I just kind of felt different yeah you yeah, just had a feeling <laughs> And so I, I took the test and it came across. So I, you know, it's like four in the morning and I'm shaking my husband awake on, <laughs> on Halloween in his parents' house in the room, oh you know, in the room God. he grew up in to tell him that he's going to be a dad. With, with uh, his um, band posters on the yeah. wall and with, <laughs> and with all his awards from um, all the band. That is exactly, and so that and so that was amazing. That's an amazing story in the middle of the night. No, was he? Was he? Was he? uh, Oh, thank you, honey. Okay, great, honey. Let me pretty much. He was like, "Why are you waking me up? I want to go back to sleep." And I was like, "No, I think you need to hear this." Oh my gosh, that's so exciting! But you're you're just like a giddy. You're like this giddy child. Like, oh yeah, wait till tomorrow. I can't wait till tomorrow to even take this test. Let me just take it now and find out. And then, of course, not only do I know now, let me just wake him up now. It's like a a kid waiting for like Christmas. Christmas. Yes, that's exactly it. Like maybe if I just go down half the flight of stairs and like peek around the corner. Yeah, I may catch a glimpse. That's awesome. So, so then, um, so that's your beginning of the, Mm -hmm. of your parenting story. Yes. And so take us into that journey of your pregnancy and your, your journey from there on. Well, six days later, um, I got a phone, I was woken up way too early in the morning, um, from my dad calling me and my dad does not like even back then he didn't call, he texted. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. 
and I was, I was all, you know, and I just moved back to the States and I didn't know what was going on. And I had this like 37 missed calls from this number that I didn't know because it hadn't been programmed in my phone yet. And it was my dad um, who was out of town for a work conference. And he said, you need to get over to your mother's house right now. Her brother, Kent and, and wife, Jane, just died in a car accident. You need to be over there oh. and tell them to be there with her when she finds out or be the one that tells her. Oh, so your dad knew before your mom? Mm-hmm. They, how, did, how did that happen? Um, I Honestly, I'm not like that whole time that period is kind of a blur yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, but most I, of those I, things are become a blur. But yeah. then he, so he's telling you, and you go, go there. So this is, this is six days up. So what time yeah. of the day was it, this moment when you actually spoke to him? Early, I mean, like seven o'clock in the morning. It was light out, but it was still early. Like, I don't think I brushed my teeth as I was getting in the car to drive that thirty blocks to see my mom and to tell her this news. Um, but I got there and she already knew. Her cousin mm-hmm. had called her to see how she was doing. Oh, I, that's the, oh, I know and, those calls. So yeah. And she's like doing from what? Like she doesn't even know what's happening. Yeah, she doesn't exactly. even know that he's, yeah. Oh. Yep. And so the next, you know, I, I mean, we immediately got in the car and drove to Nebraska, which is where mm-hmm. they where were uncle. at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, started you know started doing all of those things had you ever Uh, experienced death like that as close to this in your family before that not not like that I mean this was Mm -hmm. this was a tragic death they were hit by a semi-truck driver that was driving too close Mm -hmm. um and it was instantaneous Uh, I mean there's I get to say that there are silver linings to it, but it was mm-hmm. horrid. Yeah, um, yeah that's you know I've had grandparents that, that... and great grandparents and people that have just passed away from old age, you know, because right, that's that's going like to happen that. at some point. That's mm-hmm. but nothing like this before, mm. really. Did they have children? Did they have children? Yes, um, mm. they. Uh, my uncle Kent was actually um, quite a bit older, 12 years older than my mom. So mm-hmm. their kids, they were actually grandparents. Um, their oh, kids okay. are older than I am. And mm-hmm. um, they, they, had two, they had two daughters and two granddaughters. Um, and they actually came in from Alaska. Oh, that's where they live. Oh, so, wow. Your, yeah. your family spread spread out. for Super uh, spread out. You know, yeah. Yes. So that's surprising a little bit because it's like, here you are, you stayed pretty much close to where you grew up aside from when you left, but in general, your family has spread out. Yeah. So they came up. So, so how was it for you as a daughter seeing your mother go through this? um, And how was her way of dealing with this grief? It was tough. Um, She unfortunately has experienced a lot of grief in her life from a very, very early age. Um, And as the niece, you know, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm close to the situation, but not the center of the situation, you know, like my, my mother and their children and their Mm -hmm. grandchildren are. So I was just a support person 
And mm-hmm. also I was shooken to my core and very sad and devastated throughout this whole thing. Um, but it, you know, there, it was definitely not my place to do certain things or yeah, I was just there to, you know, make sure that people were eating food and drinking water and, and if they needed, you know, a clean pair of socks, I would do the laundry or run to the store or those kind of things. Yeah. Just being that support. Now you had just found out six days, you know, basically a week yeah. before that you were pregnant. Had you shared that news with anybody else in the family yet? Not a soul. Not a soul. So here you are that you had just experienced something so beautifully and so beautiful and happy in your, in your little nucleus of you and Kyle, mm-hmm. knowing that you guys were going to be parents and that happiness. And then six days later, this parallel, right? This parallel oh, yeah. of then death, you know, kind of just alongside. And, and I remember kind of, I had my, my cousin actually said, you're pregnant, aren't you? And I was like, oh no, no. uh-uh. Really? Because I wasn't, I, I think I was drinking Shirley Temples as opposed to oh, vodka okay. diets or something, so they, you know? Um, so they, wow, they picked up on those things. And so yeah. you were there as a support. And then so with your mom then, because she had experienced so much grief in her life, um, what were the ways that she, that you've, feel were her tools to cope with her grief and had you had you seen her experience grief then with was it with your grandparents were they from her yes. side or yeah um, her, so yeah yeah um so yeah I mean probably the thing I learned most from my mother was that mm-hmm. grief is never ending you kind yes. of learn to carry it with you mm-hmm. um but it, it, you know, it doesn't just like magically disappear at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the best thing you can do is, is talk about it. Talk about yes. what you're feeling. Talk about the person, you know, if it's a person that you've lost, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we talk a lot about Kit and Jane and we talk a lot about grandma and grandpa um, and not in a, I mean, normal, sometimes it leads to tears, Yes, but, but we sometimes tell the happy it could be happy mode. Yeah, yes, it could just be yes, like, oh, like, remember, you know, well, remember this yeah. thing, remember that thing. Um, and then, you know, that you have the conversation and then you move on to the next thing. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a long, drawn out conversation or a pity party. It can just be part of the narrative. Yes, I like that. I like that. Um, so then you learned that from her. And so then this happened at that moment, six days in now, at what then... When did you share the news of your pregnancy with the family? It wasn't until Thanksgiving. So it was still a couple weeks after that. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt and uncle died on the 7th of November. And then Thanksgiving is, you know, the, I don't know, the third Thursday of the month or whatever. So it was a couple mm-hmm. weeks after that. Um, we shared it with our parents. Um because we thought, you know, I, I mean, and there's no right time. Yeah, yeah. You never know, like there, when it's because yeah. you want to be be you want to be sensitive to what they're going through too. So sharing this like happy, happy yeah. moment for you guys in that moment. Yeah, you just didn't know what was the right. Right. So, um, so then you shared it then, and then um, you have siblings as well. Yep. Yeah. So that you didn't share and, it with them yet. I mean, they, only with your parents. We shared it with our parents first and then siblings okay. and um, okay. it wasn't like, okay, now don't tell anyone. It was just, we felt like this was the first grandchild on both sides. 
So oh, I'm the oldest in my huge, family and my moment. husband's yeah. the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. That's a um, So we wanted kind it to be yeah. just them. And then we shared it with our siblings and that kind of, you know, with it. I mean, we weren't shy to tell people. Yeah. <laughs> After that. Okay. Yeah. So then you're, you um, had your pregnancy, you experienced your pregnancy. Everything was fine. Everything um, was normal. Yeah. Everything was normal. And then you go to your which week check checkup? Uh, it was about thirty-two weeks checkup, um, and it was the day after we had bought the house mm. to move into because because oh, I was why you said the night. That's yep. exactly why you said. Yep, because mm-hmm. it was it was. Um, uh, yeah, so okay. I think we bought the house May first. And we went to the doctors on May 2nd or maybe the 3rd. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly, but it was in May. And uh, for just what we thought was a routine ultrasound, um, I'm kind of a larger girl. And so I wasn't gaining weight like they had, you know, they kind of expect you to, but I wasn't a twig to begin with. So they're like, oh, you're, you know, things are just shifting, but Mm -hmm. insurance will cover this. So why not? I was mm-hmm. like, heck yeah. Any, any <laughs> excuse I can take to you see my baby. Yeah. It's good. Um, and, and we heard the words that no parent should ever have to hear. Something's not right. Let me go talk to the doctor. And the technician left the room and could have been gone for five minutes or five years. I, it, which it felt like knows? five, did yeah. it feel like five years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and said, I can't tell you anymore, but the doctor can. So drive across town to where your doctor is and she'll fill you in. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, my husband was with me and he had enough sense in him to say, you are not driving because we had met there in our, you know, we had each taken our own car and met at the doctor's appointment because he was supposed to go back to work and I was supposed to go back to do my things. And, and luckily, he was smart enough to say, nope, you're coming with me. Um, cause I probably wouldn't have made it there to the doctor's office. Um, and when we made it, when we were, got to the doctor's office, they said, we don't really know yet. Um, we have an appointment with a specialist for you tomorrow, but this oh. is not good. And more than likely will not be a, a positive experience. Mm. Now, these words that you're hearing, and this is coming from like, and having to wait to the next day. So the five minutes that the technician might have been gone, that felt like five years. Mm-hmm. That evening, I can't even imagine um, the waiting. And if you already kind of seemed to be a insomniac, for, for, so did you sleep at all that night? I remember laying down because I was just, just exhausted. My body was tired and my, my brain couldn't, was on information overload. I just, I couldn't take anymore. Um, but I, I think there was about eight years there that I didn't sleep, Mm. not just, Mm. not just a night. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think anybody in the same position would, would probably do the same thing. You know, no, I didn't, I don't think I slept. I don't feel like I slept. Right. Um, so you go into the office uh, with the specialist and mm-hmm. then 
what um and they poke you and they prod you and and um basically they just all they could really tell me well first you know they do an ultrasound um and then they do the other kind of ultrasound which is far more evasive Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me um and then they sent me for an mri um which are very uncomfortable for any reason. Um, but basically they, they took me into a room by myself and put me into this big tunnel, you know, stripped me down to nothing, mm-hmm. put me into this big tunnel and told me not to move for an hour mm. as they took picture, you know, whatever, did whatever the MRI machine did. Um, in a, you know, in a silent room, except for this loud machine thing that you're sitting in the middle of. And it was, oh, I, they had to keep saying, quit, quit moving, quit moving. And I was like, mm. how do I cry and stop moving at the same time? <laughs> oh my God. Can't be done. And, you know, no one else can be in that room with you because it's radioactive or whatever, you know, like mm. it's not healthy just to have people hanging out. So I was by myself in my own little world of pity party. Um, and they, they basically came back and told us that um, our child's head was uh, not formed properly, not like mm. the brain didn't form the way that it should have. And mm. so I guess what normally happens is spinal fluid is created and the brain absorbs it and then it kind of you know works in a system like that well since the brain hadn't fully formed that spinal fluid had nowhere to go mm-hmm. so there was a little bitty brain but her head was huge enlarged because of that spinal fluid and when had been the last um ultrasound you had had prior to that so at week 32 had it been like three weeks four weeks and they had never they had not noticed anything like that in terms of the development till week 32 maybe just because of how a child develops is that what it is because of the timeline um I remember them saying that they should like normally that not that they should have but this is normally caught at like week 12 wow um but for whatever reason, it wasn't. Wow. Um, and so, and I, I think, I mean, it's not like I had ultrasounds every week or anything. I probably had right. two or three along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was nothing out of the ordinary. In the, uh, yeah, before. before now, that. did you already know the gender uh, prior? Did you already know your, your baby's gender before the 32 weeks? Or so, no. Because um, we're going to do like wait till we were just going to wait. He was born. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, you know, I, I, the nursery was going to be Dr. Seuss regardless. Oh, um, you got a Dr. Seuss fan here? Yes, <laughs> a, large, a very large Dr. Seuss fan. When's, the, um, when's Dr. Seuss Day? February something. No, when is Dr. Seuss Day? March second. They March. Oh, yeah, you see, you could tell me. That's his. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I like. I know my kids do something at school when they were little at elementary. Something on Dr. Yep. Seuss Day. So that was gonna be what it's gonna be anyway. So um, yeah. So it didn't really so matter. Then, and and at, and at 32, when you were hearing this diagnosis, you still didn't know the gender either. Mm-mm. Um, but we decided to find out 
because mm-hmm. like we didn't know if like I already had anyone that's been pregnant I think understands that there's such a deep connection there from the second mm-hmm. that you find out so I already knew this child mm-hmm. and I knew their personality you know mm-hmm. even though nobody else really did um and and I just wanted to be able to uh talk to them as a person as opposed to mm-hmm. you know um, baby a baby jelly bean yeah jelly, jelly bean, bean or peanut or what <laughs> um and we we had our names picked out we just mm-hmm. you know had a boy name and a girl name and um and so you know we weren't going to find out but when we found out that things were not going to turn out the way we had hoped we decided we needed to know mm-hmm. um and because we didn't know if we were going to have time with Madeline. So obviously she, a, she was a girl. A girl. Um, yeah. And so did they, did they tell you anything at that moment? So they say the brain. So what did they tell you then in terms of life lifespan or anything in that moment when they tell you what's happening to the brain? They pretty much said, we don't know anything, but you will not have a child that, last with you very long oh my gosh and then you had to if wait then we and then did you wait till you're like late till you go into labor and everything at that point um no we were told that we would have to do a c-section like a classic c-section where they just basically mm-hmm. take a knife and start drawing oh, on you it feels like because of this because of this because of the because of her de- because of her situation her, head, her delicate yes. situation and the head yes. they had to yeah um which again was a silver lining to me because mm-hmm. I don't know that I could have. Mm. I mean, I I could have because I would have had to, but I don't know right. that I would have wanted to labor even push. Yeah, yeah. labor because it's just kind of like the moment of having to stay still in a MRI machine and and trying to cry and stay stay still. Here it's the other way around. It's kind of like having to move and push while you're just grieving so much would have been very hard. Yeah. Not that it's not possible, but yes. Oh, so um, so then you then went into C. You had the C section. How many weeks then after the? Uh, uh, we were. It was basically diagnosis. two and a half weeks later. Um, they allowed us to continue the pregnancy as long it was as it was safe for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I was having. If they weren't every day, it was every other day. Checkups with just my regular doctor. Um, and heartbeat all the time there was mm-hmm, a heartbeat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but up until the the minute we delivered they said we don't know if she will be alive or if she'll be stillborn or she may go home with you she may not oh gosh that uncertainty just basically be prepared for anything um and so we we pretty much walked into the hospital with the clothes on our back. I mean, and and it was, you know, we went to the doctor and they said, okay, tomorrow is the day. It has to be. And, but we had, but uh, we had two and a half weeks to prepare. Um, but I just, I. Prepare for what? That's yeah, the thing. exactly. Prepare for what? <gasps> prepare um, for the, because you still didn't even know the out, what the outcome was going to be. So you didn't even know, like, do we, are we excited about giving birth? Are we like, what is, what? I can't imagine that. 
And so we kind of figured that we would, we would walk in with basically the clothes on our back. That was about it. And if we had the luxury of needing a car seat, we had one picked out and we would have grandma go get it from the store. Mm -hmm. And if we needed an outfit, you know, I, I take that back. I think we brought a couple of outfits mm-hmm. that I had um, already bought. Already yeah. bought. You know, because you find out you're pregnant and you're yeah, like, oh, sure. I need all the cute oh, things. Yeah. If you already had the, the nursery, um, all right. you had you already prepared? The, had you already made the, the crib and everything by week 32? So no, but only because we had just moved into this oh. house. Oh, there's another silver lining there. Yes. Another silver um, lining. Ooh. So we had basically picked out everything, but hadn't purchased anything. Yes. Because where was I going to put it? have a house to put it yeah. in. Yeah. I think I had maybe a couple of onesies, and I think I got a really, really good deal on a stroller. So I had a stroller. And and that was literally it. Um, wow. And and my official due date wasn't until July. Um, so, you know, I was like, we got... You kept time. You got time. We had enough time. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I'd done all the heavy lifting. I'd picked it all out and I, you know, kind of designed everything. I It just needed to be, like, put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but again, that was a silver lining. I didn't have to take down a crib. I didn't have to, there were very few things that I had to return and I had loving people in my life that were like, we got this for you. You got to care. So take us then to that moment. Then you have the C-section. Yeah. She, she is born and then. And she was born alive. She was born alive. And Mm -hmm. how long were you able to hold her in your arms? We held her, she, she was set down long enough for her weight to register on the scale. And other than that, she was held her entire life. Um, I wasn't in the right mind, but someone was in the right mind enough to tell my parents and his parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and mm. and great aunts and uncles to be there. And we had friends that came to the hospital to meet her. And we had a photographer, which at the time was not really a thing. I, I know it's much more of a thing now, um, but I luckily this is this is ten years ago, right? Yeah, this is two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, only only really really wealthy, fancy people got to have photographers at their child's mm-hmm. birth. Um, mm-hmm. But we, a, a very good friend of mine who actually was a photographer for um, who was a photographer and also volunteered her time for now I lay me down to sleep. Um, yes. And that I need to put, I need to remember to put that in the show notes. Okay. So it's an organization that helps keep those memories of you know, photography for families. Uh, actually you explain it, you explain yeah. it better. Um, so I actually didn't know about the organization at the time. I just had a friend that was a photographer and was like, I need, I think I need you. Because I don't know if I'll ever get pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep is an organization that where photographers will come into the hospital and take pictures of you and your family with your child. And oftentimes those are the only memories you have. Mm-hmm. 
um, and they they do it all for free. They donate their time. They donate their their talent. Um, the pictures can be edited and retouched if necessary. Mm-hmm. It is it is one of those up organizations to the family's discretion, wish, and it yeah, and it's up to the family's yeah. discretion of how it what it is they want to kind of remain as that memory that they have with their child exactly. if they were stillborn or if they passed away a few hours after birth so how many um how long was it then that she was alive she lived for eight hours oh um and one of my silver linings is she was born on may 19th 2010 and she passed in the very early morning hours of may 20th and so i get to celebrate her birthday and it is not tainted with the day of her death Oh, wow. Um, so every year I do something special for her birthday. And then I don't get out of bed the next day. And that's that's so important, Crystal, that you give, you allow yourself permission to grieve that day, even 10 years later, that you just allow yourself to, to have that those feelings and to be okay with that. And that I think is important for people to know that it's okay it's if that okay. is what you need to do for your own grief, it's okay. There's no rule book of how grief has to be lived or experienced and having grace with yourself is the most important. And that is wonderful that you're able to allow yourself to have that uh, moment to really just stay in bed and be okay with it and not, um, yeah, not expect anything differently. And maybe there's going to be a day in which you won't maybe you won't need to be in bed. You don't know, right? There may be a right. day you might, you know, but it's, there's doesn't have to be a, a particular date that you set for that. Right. Um, now, what do you do to celebrate her birthday every year? What do you do? It just kind of depends. Every year is mm-hmm. a little different. Um, one year I went, I just went and hung out at the local coffee shop and bought donuts for anyone that like, wanted a donut oh I love it so giving back like contribute Mm -hmm. all about giving back awesome that's beautiful Uh, it just kind of depends on what I'm feeling that year like some Mm. years I do something a little bigger um one year I had a, a volunteer event at my house where we like painted boxes and things that were going to um the NICU at a local hospital um Sometimes my husband and I just go and get an ice cream or a piece of cake or something. Um, but, but I do, I, I really want to mark that day every year mm. in some I love form or fashion. I love that because you're just keeping her memory alive in all these different ways, either, either by doing something contribution like the NICU or donuts or an ice cream, something in some way that is just keeping that, um, that day um, of course, you keep her memory alive every day, as any mother would. Uh, but the fact that you celebrate her birthday is just so beautiful. Now, what what tools do you use for your grief? What what have been some of these tools in the in the last ten years that you've used to help you with your grieving process and your mourning process? Well, I, I'm not sure that I knew that they were tools at the beginning. 
Uh, tools could be but, even just the fact that you rely on friends on, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? What, what were the reasons? Yeah. What did you do? What did you do to, to help you through or what heck do you continue to do? <laughs> Cause it doesn't end. So it just, yeah, it just no. changes a little bit every time. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to that afterwards of the kind of things you're doing now. But, uh, in those, you know, first days, weeks, year, first years, what, what were the things that helped you? One thing that I didn't do very well, and that that if I knock on wood ever had to do it again, something, you know, like this, um, I, I probably would have allowed more. I wouldn't have isolated myself as much as I did. Mm. Um, from everybody, from, from everyone, family, from everyone. So from your husband too, do you feel like there to was some extent? Yeah. To some extent, even so, you guys moved to your new home, and was there even was there joy among that aspect of it, or not? At all? Do you even recall the joy I don't, about having your new home? No, not yeah, not really. Yeah. yeah, it was mm-hmm. it, it was a blur. And to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest, i I lived on a a twin mattress in the living room for like mm-hmm. a month and a half. Uh, because mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to go up the stairs after my C-section. Oh, recovering. Oh, yeah. Um, so I just, I literally like laid on this bed in my sofa, in my living room, um, staring at the wall or the TV or whatever, you know, like I really couldn't do much. And and that was a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. in that I didn't have things to do like I didn't have priorities and obligations you didn't were you working you weren't working at that time I was um working I was trying to build my own business at the time okay so that just basically got shut down like I okay I couldn't function um I did that is I did the bare minimum because yes yeah that was a blessing there because it was not like you had it was not like, oh, you were going to go on maternity leave and you had this number of weeks and then you had to come back even if you maybe did not feel like it or were ready for it. You didn't have that timeline of you have to be okay to go back by this date. Um, but so, also in some ways, I yeah. it, it might have been helpful to have mm, that. Because it would have given you a reason to yes. get out of. Yes. Yeah. There's, but there's two was, sides to every coin. Yes. But you know what though? Again, it's again, that's just the, that is just the, the card cards you were dealt in that particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. And those are the, the, you know, the steps you took and, and that's okay. That's just what happened then. Um, and the, the fact that you had these scars that were healing outwardly as you're here with these inner scars that, oh, yeah. And, and in some ways, I never wanted my outward scars to heal because mm. I felt validated with my, my emotional scars. Mm. The longer it took for my, my wounds to, my, you know, external physical, wo- physical yes. wounds to heal, yeah. the more I felt validated and vindicated and able to grieve inwardly. Yes. Because you didn't have, again, you were using that as also... A permission to not get out of bed because you couldn't because you were right. healing from a surgery, right? So it was kind of like that, cr- a little bit of that crutch to some extent of like, if these don't heal, then I can, you know, outside, 
it could still give me that space, like you're saying, to exactly just continue to feel like I'm feeling right now and not have to feel like I have to be okay and out and about. And so what shifted at that? When did the mattress leave the living room? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. It was a pretty comfy mattress. It was one of those, like, it had a remote control and you could lift up the head. And it's basically like a glorified sofa. If it well, could still you're... be in my living room, it would be. <laughs> I actually have one of those. It's so funny. We had, um, we went and bought a, a mattress. We needed just a, a, when, a, what is it called? Just a frame for a mattress. Mm-hmm. But the ones they had at the store were the kind that do that to the up and down that they they came with, it was like one that came with the mattress. It's kind of like, it's free on this weekend. It comes with the mattress. And we're like, okay, that's going to be really weird that we have a recline, you know, one of those hospital beds uh, (laughs) type of thing with remote control, but it's so handy. I'm like, Oh, it's so good. I could sit and read a book without having to like awkwardly hold my bed in my head. So yeah. So I can see why you wanted to keep that mattress in the living yeah. <laughs> in the living room. So yeah, so did you have your family there? Did you allow then you said you closed your circle? Did who did you allow in that circle in your space? Who did you allow? Um if any. In very the first close friends year? and family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um because I think they knew me well enough to know that which is good because I don't even know that I knew myself. Sometimes it's nice just to be around people and realize that, you know, there are other humans in the world, but not have to entertain them or put on a show for them or, you know, and those are the the kind of, just be. be. Yeah. Yes. They would, uh, (laughs) they would come over and, you know, the TV would be on and we just sit on the sofa or, in, in my reclinable bed and, um, you know, just s- stare at the TV or they'd take me to the movies or, you know, we'd go to Target. Target is like my favorite place on the whole world and just <laughs> walk around because I hadn't been to Target in months because, you know, I couldn't drive and I couldn't do all so that these was things, your Disney. But... That was your Disney yeah. world for you. Exactly. So, and then, yeah, and so then, were, when you would hang out with family and friends, would the conversation come up of the feelings or the anything, or was it? Were you? Did you not talk about uh, Madeline? And you call her Maddie, is that correct? Do you go? Mm-hmm. Do you call her Maddie? Okay. Yep. Did or did you not talk about Maddie? What What um, was the the first few months? Did Do you remember if that was talked about, or was it more like let's just be here and? Um, but not necessarily that would they bring up the emotions? Just curious. I don't know that I was in a place. Uh, people were very respective of kind of where I was and where I wanted to be. And so if if I brought Maddie up, then we'd talk about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really remember her being brought up by anyone other than me. Mm. So by you, yeah, by you bringing her name up, it would give permission to, okay, this is a subject we can talk about. That's actually something very valid to share because a lot of times, some of the people that listen to this podcast are people that might've not experienced grief themselves. And I actually get 
a lot, and I'm sure you probably get these kind of uh, outreaches to people reaching out and saying, oh, I don't know what to say with so-and-so, so-and-so password, like, and the uh, not knowing what to say. And I'm like, sometimes you don't have to say anything. Just show that you're there. Just be, just be there. Um, right. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a thing that we don't, we don't talk enough about grief and death that, um, that we, you know, to normalize it enough to, to have these conversations of even knowing what is okay or not okay to do in these circumstances, <laughs> the circumstances. And for everybody's different, where everybody's needs are different. So exactly. not, yeah, there, so in your case, it was only when you would bring up the, the subject that, you know, talk the, about her death and talking about her that then people would then engage in that aspect of a conversation. So, um, at least early on. Down. And early on. So, so you really, so for you, for coping at the beginning with this heavy, heavy grief was really allowing yourself to feel the emotions you were feeling and allowing yourself to be in those emotions for the first few weeks, mm -hmm. then opening that circle to some of your close friends and family, having that as, as support, and then just people that would just be there for you and with you. And then how did that transition into coming out into the world with this heaviness and at what point did it maybe start becoming a little lighter? I feel like, you know, women of a certain age, especially in the Midwest, it is, what's your name? What do you do? How many kids do you have? Is kind of the, the progression of questions when you meet a new person. Um, and I always, I never knew how to answer that question. Mm. Um, because I felt like there were so many movies, like I didn't want to lie because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a mother and her name is Madeline yes. and she would be 10, you know? Um, but I also, that's super heavy to get into someone. Just a random, just yes, a ra yeah, yeah. To somebody you just meet. Yeah. Um, and so I always felt like I was playing this split second game of, are we going to be friends when I would meet a new person? Cause it was like, I can, I can lie to you now and tell you I have no kids and rip away a little piece of my soul right now. And, but save you the emotional drama of going into that. Or I can have that heavy conversation now. If I think we're going to, you know, be acquaintances long-term because at some point it's going to come up. Um, and so I was constant, like every time I'd meet a new person, I'd have to make this split second decision. Like, mm. do I like you? Do I think we're going to have a, a relationship together and relationship meaning just, you know, wow. like friendship. Yeah. For, or yeah that you're going to get to see them more than just that one time that you ran into them right. into a grocery store. So then what is the, what was your go-to kind of phrase to those that you didn't feel like that you were going to see like in that split second decision that you weren't going to probably see again after that conversation, what was kind of your automated kind of uh, script per se that you would say to the ones that you would just kind of go over the. Yeah. yeah more the often than not, people yeah. would just say, do you have kids? No. Okay. Um, mm. If they pressed and I've had a few people, um, strangers and otherwise, uh -huh. um, you know, kind of press, well, why don't you have kids? Or when are you going to have kids? Or what, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. And early on, I would get like just smoke coming out of my ears mad and just be, you know, like blow up. Well, I have a daughter. Her name is Madeline. She is dead. I hope you feel good for asking quite, you know, I mean, wow. maybe not to that extent, but. Like but that's that, how it felt. I, that's that how it felt, felt inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so interesting because a lot of times, yeah, those script conversations that we do to get to know somebody are really much even like that. I think I even did it with you. I'm like, do you have an? Do you have a pet? I was like, because my dog came as we were talking <laughs> yeah. in the Zoom. I'm like, oh, you should get one. I'm like, what? Maybe she doesn't even like animals. <laughs> I don't know. But here I am imposing my own things into somebody else's story. And that's the thing I think we do. We impose our own stories into somebody else. But it's without like, it really is kind of like those um, generic like, oh, what's the weather like today? Oh, nice day, oh, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> those kind of, right? It's like the, the icebreakers, I guess. Those icebreakers that we do of, um, yeah, are you are you married? Like, it, and maybe if right. we, it's to try to find, I think, common ground with another person to try to then be able to feel like, oh, you do? Oh, what school do they go to? Da, 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 da. Or, you right. know what I mean? It's that kind of gateway. So it's, it's not, not done in a, with a bad intention, but it's amazing from even hearing your story of how these kind of things can, yeah, a lot of times bring up all these other emotions. So thank you for shedding a light on that because it will kind of give us awareness to how it is we can approach somebody else when we're just meeting somebody, not necessarily ask the. I mean, and I don't think that it's a bad conversation. I don't think it's a bad question to ask. Right. Just be ready for the answer. Just be ready for the answer. <laughs> Just um, be ready for the answer. You know, and, <laughs> and maybe maybe read the room a little bit, because I'm sure yeah. I was didn't go from all smiles and happy to yeah. biting this poor lady's head off, you know. Mm. Um, but I, I try, you know, and sometimes I do ask questions that may not have been particularly appropriate but I try mm. not to do like 47 follow-up questions like why not yeah, yeah. why not mm. well what about mm. this well what about that you know like that that was what really got to what mm. continues to get to me is oh you don't have kids maybe you should adopt mm. oh you know what I never thought of that yeah as if because okay so now sh- share about that you so did you guys go into did you ever after that moment did you ever think about, like you just said, like you just said, adopt. Mm -hmm. Did you guys try again to get pregnant? What was that? Like, how do you even wrap your head around that? You know, like thinking about children after that. And did you, um, after the experience you felt? We did. Um, Mm -hmm. we, Madeline, was that one of those questions? Sorry, if by chance, did that sound like one of those questions? Okay. No. I'm like, now oh, I'm no. like, wait, did I have, okay. Yeah. So what, just <laughs> <No. laughs> now I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. What, how, yeah. How do you wrap your head around then thinking about that? And yeah. What happened next? So we kind of just went into, into like, I'm a child of the eighties and nineties. And I was always taught that if you try hard enough, you'll get whatever you want. You know, you want, you want to be president. Well, just work really hard at it and you'll become president. You know, you want to be a rap star? Okay. You're you're Mm -hmm. a white girl from the Midwest. Just learn to rap, you know, Mm -hmm. and you'll be a famous rap star. Um, So we kind of were like, okay, well, you know, at that point we had learned that one in four pregnancies ends in a loss Mm -hmm. of some, Mm -hmm. at some point along the way. Um, 
I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're one of those lucky couples yeah. that I am. Yeah, I am one of those yeah. as well. Um, my first pregnancy, so I can understand yeah. to a glimpse of that. I'm one of those statistics, I guess. Yeah. We can we can join the club of that statistic. But so then when you when you then so you knew that you could join that club, but then at what point are you having even that conversation of do we even try? Do we want even to try to have another child? Well, first we needed to find out what what actually happened with Madeline. Mm. Um they they did an autopsy and they did all the thing you know, uh, and I don't know they they told me that's what they do and I was like okay I'm sure I signed a paper mm-hmm. that said yes please perform an mm-hmm. autopsy on just my, to find my out. infant yeah yeah well, yeah, well it, partly because you a lot of times and maybe in that moment you would have not necessarily wanted answers but maybe later on you would have you know right. the why you know yeah. yeah um so you know months later it it could have been the next day, but it felt like months. Mm -hmm. Um, We found out that she had a genetic chromosomal imbalance, um, which basically meant she had, if if you think of chromosomes as a puzzle, um, she was missing a couple pieces. So, you know, you put the puzzle together and you have a couple spots. Well, those spots happen to be important spots. And that's what kept her brain from fully forming. And they said, okay, well, this could be a fluke, like it is a fair majority of the time. Or one of her parents could have a chromosomal translocation that was passed along to her. And that's why she wasn't able to sustain her own life. Um, So, of course, I was like, well, we need to know. You know, because it, it really did change the protocol of what we did next. If it was just a fluke, then we try again naturally. And if it wasn't a fluke, then the best course of action was to get science involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we found out that uh, it was not a fluke. Uh, Madeline had a chromosomal imbalance because I have a chromosomal translocation, which means I have all of the puzzle pieces. They're just in the wrong order. Um, So when I go to give some of them to my children, the likelihood that they will get the pieces that they need is less than 6%. Wow. And At first, we didn't want to know. At first, we we only wanted to know if that if it was like we wanted to know what the cause was we didn't know who had the cause like yes. if it was because him of, or I. right because of the partly because of the blame that mm-hmm. could be associated with that yeah yeah with the blame the and the guilt yeah. and mm-hmm. um but one night in the middle of the night i woke up just screaming bloody murder mm-hmm. i killed my daughter i killed my daughter i killed my daughter oh god um and Kyle was like, okay, well, if you're going to, if this is how you're going to treat yourself, we're going to find out if, mm. if it's valid to feel that way, basically. Mm. Like if you're going to act like you did this, then. Carrying that. Yeah. yeah. Carrying that. If you're going to carry that this weight. Is before, this is before you even knew you had it. You were already feeling that even in your, 
sleep. You already felt that responsibility. Yeah. Um, And so, yes, I was the one that had the translocation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was... Which you have no control about. Which I have no control over. Right. Right. So you did not kill your daughter because, yeah, and you know that. It's just, of course, all these kind of things are the things that uh, you still can, you're still allowed to feel them. You're still allowed to feel them, but the the uh part yeah the when we think rationally we know that it's not but the feelings you can't stop what it is you feel you know you just right. have to i like to say logically i fully yes, understand right and comprehend word. yes that's the right word, logically yes i'm a mess <laughs> yes no and it's absolutely valid it's so valid to feel and that's the thing a lot of times people don't validate those emotions of how we feel it's like always trying to be like but it, it, but but it's not, you know what, you know, and and it's okay. Those emotions are valid. They are valid. Again, it doesn't mean that they right. are logic, but they're valid. <laughs> they're right. valid. They're real. They're real. Um, so then, and then, so could even science even be an option at that point? Because if it's six percent, could they still do something? If you guys were to decide to specifically choose genetically and stuff, could they do that or no? Yes. So we actually went through IVF three times um, and, and it was basically just to have a healthy pregnancy. You know, like I wasn't saying I want blonde hair and blue eyes and Mm -hmm. eight feet tall. And I just, right. right. No, you just want a child that is actually born. (laughs) And and they said, statistically speaking, that if I were to get pregnant naturally a hundred times, 99 of those pregnancies would end poorly. Oh, God. And I, even going into that, I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around doing no, that. No, no, no. Wow. Even, even if there's enough time to get pregnant a hundred times in a lifetime, no, no, I don't know. No. Um, so to me, it, it just made sense. Okay. We're going to, we're, we, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we were very lucky in that we had, health insurance that covered a portion of mm-hmm. IVF. Um, so what we did was the basic IVF protocol, but then we did day three and day five testing, which mm. um, basically they they make the little test tube babies and they let them grow for three days. And if they grow to three days, then they you know, pluck out a cell and they test that to see. To see what that mutation was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they go again for another two days. And if it makes it two more days, then they pluck another cell and they test mm-hmm. it to see if that mutation is there. Um, and that, you know, each time was a roller coaster of emotions. Mm, I can't imagine. Um, uh, on top of the, hormonal roller coaster oh yeah because you're on Mm -hmm. yeah you're like crazy up on jacked up on hormones yeah on all these things that you should not are not supposed to be jacked up on Um, oh gosh and and basically our protocol as i remember it was it was a numbers game like because you know and and at the time i could have said oh well X number percent could do this and X number percent could come out this way. And, you know, but basically they said, okay, what we want to do is we want to get as many eggs as we can so that we can fertilize as many as we can. And hopefully we will get one. Mm-hmm. one. So let's get a hundred 
So that one, right. That kind of mentality. Yeah. yeah. The six, because there's that 6%. So when most women would go through the process and maybe get eight eggs at retrieval day, I would get like 37, Oof. which, and this happened three times, three this times. Three times. Yeah. And basically that meant to me, like, I am three times or four times more crazy than normal people going through wow. IVF because I am four times pumped full <laughs> wow. of hormones and things. Um, so to me, you know, it's like, oh, it's just a numbers game. You know, you just keep doing it. And again, my mentality of just try hard enough and you'll get whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can get eight, I can get 80. And mm-hmm. if I get 80, then that's, you know, well will work out in my favor. And, you know, so the number that every, you know, they'd report back on day three and day five and, oh, numbers are great. Okay. Numbers could be better, but they're still really good. And then it would come down to, to our last chance. And they'd say, we got nothing for you. And that is tough. I don't know how else to put it. No. No, it's just, I don't think there's another word to put it. Now, at what point do you decide that this is just not what you want to keep doing and feeling every single time you, like, when do you guys make a decision to just stop? For some reason, we made the decision from the get-go that we were going to do it three times. And I, I, I know that part of that was insurance will help cover a portion mm-hmm. of this for three cycles. And, and so early on, we're just like, okay, we're gonna try this three times. And in my mind, it was like, oh, well, that'll result in like six babies, because you know, you'll have, (laughs) or we'll have extra times left over, because it's just a numbers game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you go through IVF, your accountant, wait, your accountant brain was working there. You're like, numbers, (laughs) numbers, numbers, numbers. Exactly. (laughs) And well, the likelihood of multiples, when you're going Mm -hmm. through fertility treatments, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we're gonna have a litter of kids. You had all this hope. Yeah. So of course. Um, and, you know, each time it did, and, and we went all over the Midwest. We went to Chicago for some treatments. We went to Colorado for treatments. Um, you know, we, I kind of felt when we were done that we had exhausted our IVF options. And when you come to that decision, does that feel like a nut. So you, you're experiencing grief every single month that you go in and that, that, so for three, three months prop, is that about that? So for every, actually it, it, that, it was over long th- three take? years. Oh, really? So those three times was, I was just thinking here, cycles. I was just thinking, oh, three month cycles. I'm like, oh, you know, like, yeah, one month, no, there's, you know, there's fertility. months of prep and then there, there's the letdown. Oh like gosh, they fill you no. full of the, you know, you're, you're full of, you're basically, wow. I was basically pregnant for I four definitely years. don't know this journey of, of IVF and, you know, at all, because yeah, I did not know that it was that long of time. So three years for three different, you know, times that you tried. And then, so when you, you go through all these, yeah, the hormonal, the, the, and the grief experience every single time that you realize that those eggs were not viable. Uh, and then when you make that decision after that third time that, of, that this is the end, then your experience, did you experience then grief all over again, of, or, or like in terms of having to really know that that was not 
a box you were going to check? Yes. And I think that I didn't really fully allow myself to grieve until the end of that last cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, because I always just had a little bit of hope. Yes. Um, and it's, it's okay. And it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Cause that's, that hope is what just keeps us waking up that next day. That's okay. It's, it's not naive to have hope, right. you know, it isn't, it's a survival. It's a survival. I think, yeah, it's for survival. I yeah. Believe, so. I mean, and, and that's, that's all I was trying to do was survive. Yeah. And it's yes. never that I thought I would replace Madeline. I never, in no, my, no, it's you never know, about that is yeah, um, not about that. Yeah. We, in fact, early on in this journey, we like, we got married in the Catholic church. And so you do all these things and you, mm-hmm. we had like a, weekend where they're like okay let's talk about how many kids you want to have and and it so it's oh, kind oh, of those a, uh, marital the marital yeah. kind of weekends yeah 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 mm-hmm. and so it was always kind of like a running joke that and, and at the point I don't even remember anymore like one of us wanted three kids and one of us wanted two mm-hmm. and we're like well this way we both get what we want we'll just have two living kids and and a third angel baby and then we both mm-hmm. get our aunt you know and so it was kind of a joke um, again, all coping mechanisms and, and yes. ways to, yeah. Cause humor, humor becomes that sometimes too. It becomes that way of kind of yes. coping too. Um, no. So yeah. then, um, tell, take us then a little bit of, of the now then of the now. So you, it's now 10 years. I, I want to go back actually. Well, let's see. Uh, how long ago did you start your company and then afterwards let's move on to what happened last year that you just released this year so I'm like (laughs) that's like whoa let's just jump because so all this everything you've gone through all this grief has now birthed birthed something different so let's talk about these births so it was pretty much five years almost to the day of it was almost exactly Madeline's fifth birthday when like a bolt of lightning the the idea and the and the concept behind sharing solace hit me like a bolt of lightning it was crazy sharing solace that's yeah. the name of your organ yeah your company okay so sharing yeah. solace okay um, so you get the name does the name come to your mind does the idea of what is what is it that came in that moment the that aha that moment, that as moment Oprah was, would say, was yeah. the feeling of mm. what needed to be in the world. I didn't have a name. I didn't have, like, I had a general idea, but not really a, a form, fully formed concept. I had, okay, there needs to be this thing that you keep for as long as you need it, and then you give it to somebody else as you're moving through your grief. And that's mm. that's what I started with. And it was like... So the concept, you had the concept. Yeah. And so the, the, the now a little bit more polished form of sharing solace, our true mission is to help grievers grieve and lovers love those that are grieving. Um, and so what we do is we have a, a, a tangible gift. So we have a necklace and a keychain, and the idea is that you keep it near your heart as long as it brings you comfort and solace as you move along your own grief journey. And at some point, I hope, you realize that that 
that keepsake doesn't bring you the same comfort that it once did. And at that point, you're actually intended to pay it forward to somebody else that you know or that you don't know that's grieving their own unique loss Mm. Um, with the with the idea that each of these pieces has a unique identifier on them that allows you to register it on our website and actually follow it as it moves from person to person oh it's just so beautiful I think it's still it's just so beautiful I love that now in that in that journey then I and this is something that I even asked you when we were talking I'm like do people actually give do they get so attached because maybe you're ready but I'm like do you maybe not want to get give that part of the keepsake away away like and by the way I'll put the website on the show notes everyone so you can you can get these because I believe these would be beautiful ways of being able to share with somebody that maybe has gone through a grief you don't necessarily have to buy some flowers you can buy something like this or you also have all these other um things on your website, correct? Not just this particular, it kind of developed to different, different things, right? You have a grieving, yeah. You have a journal, correct? You have a grief journal or gratitude journal, gratitude journal. A gratitude journal. Yep. Yes. Love that. Yeah. That I think is so important. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I was asking you, I'm like, yeah, do people just keep it? Do they, do they actually give it away? (laughs) They're little. So Yes and no. <laughs> yeah. I would probably like um, take it off and put it like in my jewelry box. I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm ready, but I put it in my jewelry box for now mm-hmm. so that I can wear it if I need it again. Um, well, and part of that is why it, it's actually two pieces. And so you're intended mm-hmm. to keep one piece because you never truly get over grief. Let's be honest. Yes, 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 um, you're right. You know. Um, and so it kind of symbolizes you're still a whole person. You just mm-hmm. are missing a little bit. Mm. And then you pay forward the middle piece to someone else um, in a new token, in a new locket that um, allows them to register it on the website and, and help them through their own grief process. Um, That's because so I felt like at some point in my life, I I needed to release the debilitating grief. Mm-hmm. I would always grieve, but I needed to let go of that super heavy, mad at the world grief. Yes. And so that's kind of what I hope that this symbolizes. Yeah. And this is your, this is your, as we said, your, your, the, you birthed this idea into being and mm-hmm. now paying it forward to others by sharing this. And then, Tell us about what happened then last, about last summer or so, um, that then was a a journey of the last year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So last (laughs) summer, some guy reached out to me. That sounds creepy, doesn't it? No. Uh. Um, uh, He he was a professor at Georgetown. um, And so I wrote a book. How crazy is that? <laughs> I know. I, I'm like in a year. I want to hear when you said that. I'm like, oh my gosh! And just in a year, that's amazing. So he reached out, and he and so he walked you through to how to be able to do this. Yes, pretty much. And yeah, he has. Book. Yeah, yeah. I wrote this book, and um, the launch date of the book was, of was. course, Madeline's birthday, May nineteenth, twenty twenty. So her birthday present this year was a book in the Library so of Congress. Tenure, her 10 years, yeah. her 10 year. And then um, 
Now, this book, tell us a little bit, the name of the book, and then a little bit of the premise of it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm kind of in love with the title. Um, <laughs> it's called Confessions of a Griever, Turning mm. a Hot Mess into an Oat Message, Laughable Lessons it's... for When Life Just Sucks. Oh, love that. Love that. Um, Say it one it more. Is... Read, it, read it one more time. Say it one more time. Confessions of a Griever. Uh, confessions a hot of mess. a Griever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Confessions of a Griever turning a hot mess into an oat message. Laughable lessons for when life just sucks. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Because um, sometimes awesome. it just does. <laughs> it does. And it's okay. Um, and it and is. It's okay. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's okay to have those, as you said, laughable messages, you know, laughable moments to mm -hmm. within those moments of when it's sucking. Um, and then, so the, and then I liked what you told me of what it is. It's kind of like the choose your own narrative type of book. Is that correct? Exactly. A little bit? Yes. Yeah. So it's a little <laughs> bit my story, of course, because I think that my hope is that by sharing my story, I can encourage others to share their story of grief as well. Um, so mm -hmm. it's a little bit my story. There's, it's a little bit self-help. So there's tips and tricks in there, but it's a choose your own grief guide. So at the mm -hmm. end of every chapter, you get options of where you want to go next. So mm -hmm. you're not supposed to read the book cover to cover. You're in supposed order. to flip around. And yeah. that is because there is no real guideline or even map line yeah. you know there's no guideline to grief either it doesn't come in any particular right. order mm -hmm. i love exactly. that vision grief is that, not linear that, so why should a no, book about not. grief be linear? why would it be i love that i love that you that I, i'm gonna say you're a genius but at the same time i want to say that the let me just say the fact that you were able to hold on to that inspiration because i feel like inspiration's there and we just those that grasp it and are able to you know put it on, you know, to the world, just like, you know, sharing solace came to you like, like that lightning bolt and however we want to feel and whoever we want to feel was part of that journey of you having that lightning bolt moment of knowing that this is how you were going to move on with your grief. And then this next chapter, literal chapter with now the book of your journey of grief, um, have all just been these beautiful ways of, of your process of healing and mourning and that now you're able to, you know, to give others those pieces of comfort and solace, like you say, sharing solace in this. So that's just a beautiful, a lot of, a lot of beautiful um, things that have come from something so hard. Um, so thank you. Thank you for, thank, um, you. thank you for moving that um, recliner bed out of the, out of the, out of the, <laughs> out of the living room and then allowing all these other things to come to the world too in that process. So Crystal, it's been an honor to have you on and thank you. And I look, for, I'm, I'm going to be putting those things on the show notes. I want to buy your book. I want to, I want to choose my own <laughs> brief story. Uh, and I was actually thinking this week, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to interview Crystal and I haven't bought her book yet. I guess I should have read her book before <laughs> I have her on. But I'll just read along with the listeners then. I'll be reading along with everybody else. So you thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. 
I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.